continuing in our study of 2 Kings, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we skipped last week over to chapter 8, uh, but this, this week we're going back to the end of chapter 6 and chapter 7. I did that because I thought this section would go better with communion. And we have communion today. Well, we've read in our responsive reading what the situation was at the time of this passage. It was really bad in Samaria. They had a siege going on, and the armies of Syria were around the city of Samaria. And the siege had gone on and on. Uh, You know, those cities back in those times, they were set up to take sieges. They set up, set them up to have water supplies within the city. They set them up to have stores of grain and different things uh, for the sieges, but they couldn't take sieges forever. Samaria, we know when it finally fell, it took three years for it to fall. Can you imagine having enough supplies and everything to last three years for the city? They did have that. Not, that city was strong. Well, here I don't think they lasted quite three years, but they'd been lasting for a while against the Syrians here. But it got down to about the worst uh, that you could imagine. They were talking about that a donkey's head was sold for 80 pieces of silver. Uh, Some dove's dung was being sold. And they were even to the point of boiling their children and eating them. And it was getting really bad. And so, they, uh, uh, here's the situation that we have. I remember when I visited Istanbul a few years back, uh, you could take a tour down underneath the city, and they had huge underground cisterns underneath there to last through the sieges. They had sieges there as well. So it was bad. As bad as you could get, the woman there, she had her problem. And her problem was that the other lady had hid her son, and they couldn't eat him. And so it doesn't get any worse than that. And at the end of our responsive reading, it seems that the king here, he's blaming Elisha for the siege and for the problems. And I think that's probably because Elisha had prophesied it, and he wanted to kill the messenger. And, of course, it was God that did it. And God was trying to turn them back to him. And God sent this to turn the people to the Lord. And so Elisha was right there on the scene, right there in the midst of that siege. You know, Elisha, I'm sure he was suffering a little bit in the siege as well. He was from hunger and whatever. And unfortunately... Uh, We Christians, sometimes we have to suffer along with the punishment that God deals out on the country around us. Well, anyway, Elisha was here toward the end of chapter 6, verse 12, I mean, verse 32. And he had the elders there sitting with him. It seems that the prophets back here, they had great influence, that they had importance, that the people looked up to them. And so the elders were all there with Elisha, and Elisha had a revelation from the Lord that the king was sending to chop off his head. 
You know, we remember in the New Testament, John the Baptist, he got his head chopped off when a messenger was sent. God didn't protect him, but God protected Elisha here. And he says here, see how the son of a murderer hath sent to take off my head. And, you know, who was the king here at this time? There's a, there's a section here in 2 Kings for a few chapters where it doesn't give the name of the king. It just says the king of Israel this and the king of Israel that. Well, the king of Israel here <coughs> was Joram, the son of Ahab. Joram, the son of Ahab. And you remember the story of Ahab. Remember that Ahab wanted the vineyard of the guy next to him, Naboth. And so he had Naboth killed so he could take the vineyard. And, and of course, Jezebel, he, she arranged that too. But anyway, uh, they did that. And I think that's what you know, Elisha is referring to here. The son of a murderer has sent to take away mine head. And you see the timing here. Remember, we talked about last week that we can see the hand of God and the timing of things. And right as he's speaking, the messenger comes to take away his head, to execute him, while he yet talked with them. And I might say something about language. You know, it was good, the thing we had this morning with uh, Hebrew poetry, A-B-B-A and all that, with chiasms, and that's good to study about Hebrew poetry. But you know what? We don't have to know Hebrew to study the Old Testament. We have a faithful translation right here. And it tells us exactly what the Hebrew says. And we can have confidence in it. It tells us exactly about as good as you can get of a translation. And of course, it's not word for word completely because you can't do that with a translation, but we can trust it. And so, while he yet spake, the timing was there, the messenger came and said, uh, and Elisha said, this evil is of the Lord. Let's go on here in this passage, chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elisha said, hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, tomorrow about this time, Shall a measure of flying flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria? And you know what Elijah was prophesying here? He was prophesying that tomorrow, right here, food is going to be cheap, really cheap. Normal prices are even below. And right now, they're, they're selling dove's dung. They're selling all those things. And they said that, that fine flour will be sold cheap here tomorrow. Well, that was quite an amazing prophecy there. And then verse 2, Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Elisha said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. So there was a lord there. It looked like he was like the chief of staff for the king. The king leaned on him. He was his advisor. And it seems like here he's sort of mocking here that, oh, that can't happen. You know, you'd have to have windows in heaven to have all that 
food to be able to have cheap food here tomorrow? How could you have so much food? How could you have that supply chain to bring all that food here by tomorrow? And Elisha said, nope, you're going to see it with your eyes, but you're not going to eat thereof. Because he mocked this promise and didn't have belief. And then we go on here to verse 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. Why were the leprous men there at the entering in of the gate? Well, it's because back in those days they had detailed regulations for taking care of leprosy. And they had quarantines. You know, leprosy was a very deadly disease. It was a very awful disease. The skin would fall off. And... It was contagious, very contagious. And so they had quarantine measures. And so lepers, they couldn't be in the city. And of course, they had to be out of the city. But then when the enemy came against the city, the lepers were Israel, of Israel. And so they got squeezed by the Syrians up against the wall of the city on the outside. And so they were there between the Syrians on the outside with the siege and the people besieged in the city and the lepers were out there. And they were there, four of them. And then they said, going on to verse 3, And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we will die also. Now therefore come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. You know, to begin with, this is our true story right here. True story, there were four leprous men. There was a big siege. There was the city of Samaria. There were the people in there boiling their sons. This is all true story, a true account. And so here we have these four leprous men there. And they're sitting there starving to death. And they're thinking, you know, it looks pretty hopeless here. If we just keep doing what we're doing... We're going to starve to death and die if we just keep sitting here. And if we go back into the city, they're starving there. And so it occurred to them, you know, there's just one chance for us now. We can go over to the city of the, over to the siege army of the Syrians, and maybe, just maybe, they will save us alive. Just maybe. And so we have a chance. You know, leprosy, it's no accident that the Bible says that leprosy is a picture of sin. How bad sin is. You know, in our society today, we make fun of sin. The, uh, the society does. In the, t- the media, they always make fun of sin. They act like sin is no big deal. But it is a big deal in the Bible. And it's just like leprosy. And so these leprous men, they have had this disease of leprosy. And they're about to starve to death, but they find some hope. At least a little bit of hope. 
And we go on to verse 5. And they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose, the Syrians arose, and fled in the twilight, and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment, and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Well, as we see, the, the lepers, they were to the end of their rope. They're outside the city. They didn't know what else to do. And I submit to you that this passage here is an extremely good picture of salvation and of the need to witness. It's a very good picture of that, a good picture, a good application of this is witnessing and salvation. And you know, when we come to the Lord, many times we're at the end of our ropes. We don't know where else to turn. And so finally we turn to the Lord. The Lord has been preparing our hearts. He's been working in our hearts and leading us unto himself. The trouble is in this world around us, people get to the end of their rope and then there's all kinds of snake oil salesmen out there. And they offer people all miraculous cures for their problems and for their spiritual problems. And I've mentioned it a couple times before, we'll mention it again, my grounded soul people across the street from me. And they advertise that you're agitated, you are nervous, you're, uh, you're stressed, and we have the solution for you. You need to be hooked into Mother Earth. Well, that's a completely false solution. Uh, like the snake oil salesman. The snake oil salesman is a famous thing of the past. He'd come around with that oil and sell it, and it was the remedy for anything that ailed you. And people would buy it and come to find out it was no good. And that's the same thing with these grounded souls. But anyway, here are the lepers. They're to the end of their rope. And you notice here again the timing of God. God had the lepers go over to the camp of the Syrians after the Syrians left. Just after they left. He didn't have them go over there before, but after. And so the timing was great through the providence of God. The Syrians had heard the sound of a great army coming upon them. And you know, they never saw the army, but they heard it. And they figured that was enough for them. And they fled for their lives because they could tell by the noise of it that it was a huge army coming right upon them. And by the time they'd go out to look and see what it was, they would have been lost. So they fled for their lives. Fled. And notice who, the, who they thought were com was coming upon them. 
the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians. This tells us what the big powers were at that time in that area of the world. You had the Syrians, you had Israel, but the bigger powers were the Hittites in the north in Turkey and the Egyptians down in the south. And those were the possibilities for who could come upon them at this time, this big power. They fled. So the lepers, they finally went over to the camp of the Syrians, and they found that there was nobody there, but everything was left there. All the food was left there, all the supplies, and it looks like the Syrian army was a very well-supplied army. Of course, it had been there in the siege for a while, getting supplies. And so all the supplies were out there, everything was there. And so what did the lepers do? Well, they did just like we would do. They went there and got the blessings of their salvation, just as we get when we get saved. Anyway, they went to one tent, got things, went to another tent, got some more stuff, ate their fill. And of course, they found all this gold and silver in there, and they grabbed it all together, and then they wondered what to do with it. So they went off in some bushes somewhere and buried some and hid it. And they came back and got some more and went and hid it and buried it. But that went on for a while. And of course, it was a lot more than they could handle. And then we go on to verse 9, the key verse in this passage. Actually, this is kind of like a chiasm here. We got the, the beginning and the end. And in the middle, we got the key verse here. Verse 9. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. And the wording here is so exact of salvation and of spiritual things, that it's, I think it's very clear that God meant this story to be a picture of salvation and bearing the good news. Look at this. We do not well, this day is a day of good tidings. What's the gospel? The gospel is good news. We have good news. It was a good news for that city starving that there was all this food out here and they didn't even know it. It was a day of good tidings. But what was the problem? The problem was they were holding their peace. They weren't doing anything to help the people in the city. They were at that very moment boiling their sons and starving and dying. And they had all this, these blessings, all these things. This is a day of good tidings. And of course, they could say, well, you know, we're not doing anything. That's the problem. They're not doing anything. Sins of omission are bad. We hold our peace. We can't hold our peace when it's a day of good tidings. And so they came to that realization. Then they said, well, you know, if we delay... And if we don't give the good tidings, you know, some evil is going to come upon us, some mischief. Do you remember Jonah? Jonah was told to go preach to Nineveh. He didn't do it. He went the opposite direction. 
And what happened to him? He ended up in a whale's belly. He was judged terribly by the Lord for not doing what God told him to do. And you know, God is telling each one of us today to go out and give the good news. It's a day of good tidings, and we don't want to hold our peace. And God will hold us accountable for that. And then we go on here. Now therefore come, notice this this wording here, that we may go and tell the king's household. You know, we Presbyterians, we believe in election. We believe that the reason we go out and hand out tracts, the reason that we go out and give out the gospel to people, is we're looking for the king's household. We're looking for those that are elect to give the gospel to them. And you know, we're going to give the gospel to a lot of people that aren't elect, that aren't of the king's household, and they're not going to respond. But we're looking for those ones that are of the king's household. And the king's household, was they were supposed to go and tell. So we go on to verse 10. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night and said to his servants, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry, therefore are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And so here, were they believing the, the, the good news of the lepers? No, they weren't believing it. It was too good to be true. You know, that's the, uh, the saying that they say about scammers. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And here we have, this was too good to be true, but it was true. And so the lepers had gone in and told them. You know, I'm sure the lepers uh, thought, well, you know, if we go in there, they're going to think we're crazy. And they did think they're crazy. But they went and told them anyway. And, you know, if they, were gonna, if they thought the lepers were crazy, who is it going to help hurt? Is it going to hurt the lepers? No, it's going to hurt the people that don't believe, the people that think they're crazy. Who loses? The people that don't believe, not the people that give the good news. And so, finally, one of the servants of the king has some wisdom here. Verse 13, And one of the servants answered and said, Let some take, I pray, these five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, there is all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites are consumed. And let us send and see. They took, therefore, two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king, and the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And of course here they send out these horses. Why hadn't they eaten these horses? Well, they wanted to save a couple uh, just in case. 
And so they had saved just a couple of scrawny horses that were half starved. And they sent out riders on them out to, to sea. And they went out, they saw everything tossed all over the place, the camp left as it was, and then they followed the track of the Syrians, and there was all kinds of stuff uh, thrown all over the place that they had thrown away in their haste. So then everybody in the city came out of the city, they came over to the camp of the Syrians, and God partook of all the blessings over there that the lepers had had. And you know, we see in the Bible that prophecies are literally fulfilled in the Old Testament. Literally fulfilled. And how should we take the prophecies in Revelation? Well, we should take them literally, as literally as possible as well. Just like this, these, there's two prophecies here that are fulfilled exactly literally. The first one here is that the fine flour would be sold cheaply the next day. And that happened exactly as he prophesied. Then the other prophecy going on, verse uh, 17. And the king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, and the people trod upon him in the gate. And he died as the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him. And it came to pass as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. And that Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, and shalt not eat thereof. And so it fell out unto him. For the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died. It was fulfilled exactly as Elisha said. The guy would see the salvation coming, but he wouldn't eat. Exactly. Exactly, literally, we have these prophecies fulfilled. And it was a good point Jerry made this morning that the prophets in the Old Testament, the prophets in the Bible, didn't so much tell the future, they didn't so much foretell as they foretelled the word of God. But they did foretell the future too, and it was fulfilled literally. Well, that brings us back to what's the application of this true account from the Old Testament? What's the application of it? The application is that we have good news today. Good news to the world that's around us. We have good news that they don't have to go to hell. They can go to heaven. It's a day of good tidings. And we don't want to hold our peace. You know, if these lepers had held their peace, it said that some mischief would come upon them. That's true. But would the people in the city have starved to death if the lepers held their peace? No. God, if he had ordained that they would be saved, he would have sent somebody else to give the good news. It would have been bad for the lepers, but the good news would have got there. And you know, if there are members of the king's household out around us and we refuse to give them the good news, well, somebody else will give them the good news. And that'll be our problem. And you know, the Great Commission is very important. Very important in the Bible. What is the last thing that Jesus said in the New Testament to the church before he ascended up into heaven? 
The very last thing he said was, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To every creature. That's extremely important. You know, when you leave on a trip, you say the most important thing lasts for people to remember. And when I'm gone in Florida, don't forget to feed the cat. That's the most important thing. Well, this was the, the most important thing is God, uh, Jesus went up into heaven. And don't forget to give out the good news to people around us. Don't forget it. It's important. Well, you know, why don't people witness? Why don't Christians witness? There's a lot of reasons why Christians don't witness. One big one is they're afraid what people will think of them. What will people think of them if they give the good news to them? Well, uh, it's been said that we would worry less about what people think of us if we knew how little they think of us. But, you know, the thing is, is, you know, especially when we're giving the gospel to strangers out in the highways and hedges, why do we care what they think of us? We shouldn't care. You know, I'm always driving down the road, and I'm always worried about if I'm getting in the way of the guy behind me, you know, that's on my bumper. And, and I think, well, why do I worry about this guy, this complete stranger that I don't know whether he has to break his stride or not? You know, the thing is, we shouldn't worry about what people think of us as we give out the good news. And then another reason Christians don't give out the good news is because they're shy. And, you know, there are some people that are shy and some people that are not shy. There are people that are outgoing and people that are not outgoing. That's very true. And the, the, the person that's outgoing and not shy, perhaps he will give out the gospel more than the person that's shy and not outgoing. But you know, all of us need to be involved in giving out the gospel sometimes, some ways. We all need to be involved somehow, because it's very important. And as I've said a million times, and we'll say it a million times again, this is the easiest way to give out the gospel, right here, tracks. You don't even have to see somebody. You can just leave it laying around. Leaving laying around in the restroom, leaving it laying around in the store, leaving it laying around anywhere. But of course, it's good to give it to people in person. And it's good for opening up conversations. But we need to be involved somehow, giving out the gospel. Of course, we give out the gospel to our friends, to our relatives, to people we come in contact with. But there's also going out into the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in. And that's what we do with our uh, going out, giving out tracts on our Saturday track ministry. And by the way, uh, this Saturday is supposed to be track ministry, although it's winter weather, I don't know. We cancel it sometimes for that, but we'll have to talk about that uh, about uh, this Saturday. We forgot about that. But anyway, we go out to give it to the people in the highways and hedges. And we want to give out the gospel. Give out that good news. Don't worry about what people think of us. Don't worry about what they think. Don't worry that they think we're crazy. Don't worry that they think we're religious fanatics. No, we have the good news. And it's bad for them if they reject it. Not bad for us. And so there's a lot of people out there that are desperate. Desperate. Looking for hope. 
And, of course, God puts that hunger in people for spiritual things. There are people that are out there looking. We need to be out giving out the gospel to them. And this is just a great verse from the Old Testament. You know, you don't think of the Old Testament as being a missionary book. or uh, You don't think of that. Of course, Jonah is a great missionary book in the Old Testament. But this is a great missionary chapter right here. And verse 9 is a great missionary verse. We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come, that we may go and tell the king's household. And you know, we might not know how to give out the gospel in the best possible way, but it's just good to give it out somehow, anyway, is better than none. And so... As we come to communion this morning, let's look at our lives. Are we doing what God would have us to do? Of course, there's a million different things that God would have us to do in our lives. But one of them that he'd have us to do is be a witness and give out those good tidings. And let's look at that as we come to communion this morning, in addition to all the other things that we look at. Let's bow in prayer. O Lord, we pray that thou would bless these thoughts to our hearts. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for us not giving out the good tidings as we should. And, O Lord, we pray that thou would help us to be good witnesses, bless in the communion to follow, and uh, convict us of any sin that's in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.